interception. Charlie. Thanks so much for listening. It was as if he kicked about three pounds of haggis that time because it hardly got off the ground. Welcome back to the Pop Pass podcast where Charlie and I are talking all things rugby from the international stage all the way down to grassroots and we'll always try to throw in a few stats that you can impress your friends with along the way. Much like Charlie Yules' red card being the fastest ever in the Six Nations since the tournament began back in 1883. But more on that later. Before we get into it, just a reminder that we're available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So if you've enjoyed listening to our unpopular rugby opinions and occasionally rational analysis, it would be great if you could tap follow and give us that five-star rating. It really helps us out a lot. But of course, if you want the full Pop Pass Pod experience, feel free to head over and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and even Facebook too. Look, we've got listeners in Germany in the US now, apparently, according to our, our stats. So if anyone from, from any of those countries, if you really are listening and, and our, our podcast host provider isn't lying to us, it'd be great if you could tap follow as well. Thanks so much for joining us once again. Charlie, what have we got coming up in today's episode? Well, we'll be going in reverse order this week, looking back across all the drama from the penultimate round of the Six Nations. We go for a red card against the number five, please. Well, Charlie Yields is going to get a red card, and they are not going to like it. An early red card and late Irish tries in a thrilling epic at Twickenham. Frisco is coming out to get another one. Oh, can you believe that? Italy restores some pride against a struggling Scotland side. Morfana, there's a spare man out wide now. Chamonix, and across goes Geelong. And not even the Principality could stop France as they take another stride towards the Grand Slam. But first, big news in the rugby world this week beyond the Six Nations. Looking forward to the the World Cup in 2023, Spain have qualified for the World Cup for the first time, I think, since 1999. Wow. So huge. I mean, a country known for their footballing exploits. Among other things. Yeah, among other things. You know, we, we, we could go further. But, you know, sports-wise, yeah. football is their, is their main thing. But they qualified for the World Cup. They won 33-28 against Portugal, and it was enough for them to secure the second European spot, well, in the championship of the Six Nations, effectively. Geographical rivals there, Portugal-Spain. So, yeah. yeah derby inter- game. Inter- derby game for those two. Exactly. So, so Georgia finished top of the rugby championship, and Spain have taken that second spot, which m- means they qualify. Of course, Russia were banned from qualification, so... They that helped Spain a little bit. I wonder why. Yes, I wonder why. We shouldn't get too, too, too go too far into that one. <laughs> um, we'd be here for a while. Um, but yes, so they they've qualified for the World Cup. And Charlie, guess guess what group they've been put into? Hmm. Um, well, any World Cup group is going to be difficult. But yeah, well, I- I'll let you know. Uh, it's the group of death. They're facing Scotland, Ireland, and South Africa. Hmm, I, I don't think I will be particularly uncontroversial in this in saying that I don't think they'll get out of that group. Yeah, no, I think that might be tricky. Uh, they're also going to play an unconfirmed Asia-Pacific qualifier, so I think that means a Tonga, a Samoa. Okay. 
the fact they've qualified is the great achievement here. Yeah, that's that's great. For them. And we're seeing a different a different team at the World Cup. I always quite like it when you look across the group stage and obviously they usually end in, in drubbings but when yeah. you've got like England against the Uruguay a few years ago or you play you play teams that are a little bit different do you remember we, we watched a, a while ago that um, Ivory Coast match when they, oh, were yeah. in, when they were in the World Cup in 95 I think it was and brilliant kits yeah yeah it was, it's just exciting to see other teams in there and that's what we want from a competition definitely and you you know you need teams to be able to improve and play against the best and if they're only competing in the Rugby Championship which they might be competing in for the foreseeable future depending on how how the Six Nations develops or decides not to develop in the near future, it's important for them to have that opportunity. But perhaps a little bit disappointing they're in the group of death and there's no yes. hope for them. You know, maybe if they were in a, a slightly easier group, we could be seeing something a little bit more special from them. Exactly, but, but it, it will be that game against the, the qualifier from Asia Pacific that will be the interesting one for them. That will be the real test. I don't hope I get wrong. I think it was Uruguay when they beat Fiji in the last World Cup. Right. And they were... It was there were tears. I mean, it was very South American, but there were tears and everything, and it was a great, a seminal moment. I think there might have even been a proposal at the end of that. You know, you know, it's been a a good game when there's a proposal at the end. Exactly. Well, there was one actually in the in the Italy game, right? There was. There was. So (laughs) we'll get onto that a bit later. Probably not the proposal, but the game. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But you're right. But yeah, so Sweden have qualified for the World Cup, which is great for them, and um, and and we'll we'll see we'll see how they do. But it'll be fun to see someone a little bit different. But anyway, on to maybe more important matters or more pressing matters, which is the Six Nations over this weekend. The penultimate round. What a weekend we had. It was full of drama, as every weekend seems to be at the moment. I think this one was particularly full of drama. But as you said, we're going to go in reverse order and we're going to start with that game at Twickenham, which involved a very, very early red card. Now, first up, what a thrilling match we were treated to at the end of this weekend. England-Ireland, it was billed as one that was going to be the top fixture for the weekend, and it proved it. But, of course, many controversial moments in it. So let's kick off straight away with that red card. I I think we can be pretty brief about it, to be honest. Well, yeah, I mean, look, it it was disappointing from the end that you'd want to see 15 against 15. It's a big game. It's disappointing that it immediately goes down to 14 against 15, especially as an England fan. I was I was at the pub watching this weekend. It's the first time this this year's tournament that we haven't watched it together. Yeah. So I was in a bit of a different environment. Obviously, everyone's <laughs> everyone was geared up for this game. Italy, um, Scotland was on before. Not many people were watching that one. But this was the big one. And obviously, everyone's chatting around and, and it barely started. And then the referee whips out a red card and half the pub is like, what? What's going on? Yeah. England, when they came out, were firing. You know, they they ran onto that pitch in contrast to the, to the Irish, where Johnny Sexton looked as cool as a cucumber, and this English team ran onto the pitch. They were firing, they're ready to go. Mm-hmm. And there was a little part of me that did feel like, oh, God, well, wow, okay, fellas, yeah, you go yeah. for it. And maybe it proved to be that atmosphere that caused th- that yeah. early record. It, I don't know, but... Look, I mean, I've talked to a few people about it, and obviously... A lot across the media, there was there there are some articles saying that it was a controversial decision, but unfortunately, I don't think there's any controversy in it at all. I don't think there's any controversy in it at all either. So at I mean, least we're agreed on that. Yeah, Charlie Yule's. There's no malice in it. I don't think at all. It was clumsy, perhaps. It's clumsy. I mean, the thing is, James Ryan. The way Ireland play a lot of their attacking phases is throughout the back passes. They do that a lot to create space. James Ryan makes that pass back to Johnny Sexton. The ball's gone. And I think Charlie Yules, we kind of talked about this before the podcast, but Charlie Yules, 
gets distracted by Johnny Sexton getting the ball and forgets that he's about to collide with mm. James Ryan. And obviously he goes in way too high, clash of heads. Some people I've talked to have talked about intention and, and whether he intended it or not, but I just it doesn't matter, unfortunately. The referees have to go by... Uh, you know, a set of protocol. We know he's not wanting. If we want to, we can't talk about intention because that's no, we can't. Not, you can't measure uh, it. But but even then, if you wanted to go into that, does he really want to whack heads with another person in that situation? I really don't think he does. No. And so, as I said, it's a little bit clumsy. He got too close, but it's still a red card. Boom, done. It, it's it's silly. It, it, he just should have gone lower. And I genuinely think, and I don't mean to put it on Charlie Yours, but I do think the red card had a huge... I mean, it's not even on, on, yeah, uncontroversial to say, but I genuinely think the way England played on, on Saturday, especially their dominance, which we're going to talk about at the scrum, they would have won that game. And I, don't think it's, I don't think it's that controversial to say they would have won that game. And it's, it's that point about performance. You notice if you see the um, post-match interviews with, say, um, Jamie George, mm-hmm. he was so appreciative of his side and... and full of praise for a team that he felt that did they did really well. And I completely agree with him. When they were put up in a bad position, they coped with that immensely well. Mm-hmm. And especially, as you were saying, in, in the scrum, I thought they were outstanding. I think that was our best performance in that part of the, of the game, yeah. whole championship. It was unbelievable. I mean, look, Charlie and I don't profess to know loads about the scrum and why penalties are given or not given. But it did seem, especially on, on Ellis Genge's side, we had such dominance there. And... We really, really needed that because with backs against the wall, having a strong set piece where you know you won six scrum penalties in the game. When you know you can win those kind of penalties, it really gets you out of sticky situations and it slowly but surely got England level in the second half. But just last thing on, on, on the red card, I think also on the other end of the coin, on the side of the coin, James Ryan had to go off and didn't come back on. And we should be feeling more sympathy with the guy who's been absolutely whacked on the head and has had to go off for concussion as opposed to the guy who's pretty clumsy. And I think it was a real, real shame, but it didn't actually lessen the spectacle, in my opinion. And his replacement, Henderson, I actually don't think was particularly good throughout the game. The commentators at some points were saying he was he was doing really well. There were points where he was giving away silly penalties. There's one moment where he has his hand in the ruck and he's, he's he disrupts the play. Yeah, right in front of the post. Right, yeah, which, by the way... There was a shout for England to have a yellow card when I think it was Maratoji <laughs> did the exact same thing. Yeah. And it was a little bit like, oh, God. Yeah. So uh, you're right. Let's let's think about this, that the replace one, the replacement that came on wasn't particularly good. And two, they've they've lost a key player as well. It's yeah. not like for like because obviously England are a man down for the rest of the game. But yeah. still, it is important to remember that. So, yeah, that's I feel like. You yeah, know, we've, we've covered we, it. We've said our, our piece about yeah. that. But yeah. But looking at looking at the team performances beyond that, Ireland. They were heavily billed as favourites and they didn't actually perform very well. It was it was good that they could get themselves out of the hole they found themselves in at 15 all. And they managed to obviously win by sort of 17 points. It was 32-15 in the end. I think it obviously flattered them a lot, but they really didn't play that well. And I wouldn't say it's a worry because, you know, it's a one-off game. They're at Twickenham. Twickenham was as loud as I've ever yeah, the, the atmosphere, heard it. The commentators and I was, kept, wasn't even there. Yeah, the commentators kept saying that, and I think that's noticeable. Like, we're not in the stadium, so yeah. it's difficult for us to measure that. But mm-hmm. when they are saying that, which, by the way, just a quick point on the commentating team for that game, I'd like to just say to ITV, if you're listening to this, can we move past 2003 England rugby with Lawrence Delalio, Clive Woodward, and Johnny Wilkinson as our team? Because... Maggie Alfonsi is 10 times a better pundit than Johnny Wilkinson. Mm-hmm. And if it wasn't for Jordan Murphy, Jordan Murphy in the, uh, from the Irish team sort of 
<laughs> the Irish camp in order to be part of that commentating team. It was so biased, it was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. As they, as we were saying, they measured it as the atmosphere was incredible. Um, and that is notable because obviously they're there week in, week out in terms of, well, maybe not at Twickenham week in, week out, but they yeah. are part of those rugby games week in, week out. And so exactly. I mean, I, mean, I mean, speaking of 2003 England, I read an article by Matt Dawson in the aftermath of the game. And he was saying that, that this kind of game is like gold dust for an English side. Don't know if you agree or you disagree with that, but he's basically suggesting that, of course, having that adversity and maybe not coming through it, but showing, you know, the strength, the unity in that team to to get out of that situation where when James Lowe goes over and it's it's 10-0 or, or it's 8-0, you're thinking, wow, this could be a drubbing. Yeah, I thought it was going to get ugly. No, it's a good point. Um, I think gold dust is perhaps, you know, it's a journalistic term for it. It's, it's bigging it up a it's little bit. It's a nice bit, headline, isn't but it? But he's right. Ultimately, this England side, we haven't seen the best from. We've talked a lot about how we don't think we're seeing the best from England. Mm -hmm. And they were given an opportunity when they were up against it and we were expecting them to lose to put in a good performance. That's all we could ask of them. And they did that. And and some, to be honest. Yeah, I I didn't... didn't... Jack Noll and Courtney Laws played amazingly throughout the whole game. Exactly, especially seeing as he played... Jack (laughs) Noll played half the game at flanker. Um, But yeah, I didn't leave that game feeling disappointed. I actually left it feeling quite positive. And I think... England just need to start putting all the pieces together now, whether it's discipline, whether it's their attacking game, whether it's a set piece. You know, once all those things start coming together and hopefully they're going in the right direction, you know, this side will will be back up there again. But it was a really, really interesting game. It was a great game, but well done to Ireland, who actually can still win the title. Yeah, very interestingly. If... England, ironically, do them a favour next weekend. We'll talk about that game at the at the end of the episode. But Ireland, they didn't perform very well. They still came through it. I guess it's an old sporting cliche that that's the sign of good sides. Yeah, it's a testament to that Irish side. They managed to, to pull out a victory away from home. Let's not forget that, obviously. Yeah. And yeah, they, they, they ground out a victory against an England side that really put in their best performance of the championship and they should be given credit for that. Italy versus Scotland, a match that we justifiably build as one for the fancy teams, but with a final score of 22-33 to Scotland, it was far from the thrashings we've seen Italy suffer throughout this championship. I mean, this was a side that were on a record 35-match losing run in the championship. (laughs) And I know they didn't win. I'm already saying this as if they won. But still, I think there was some pride from, from Italy in this match. I mean, they had a points difference of minus 111 to go into that game. To put that into context, Scotland had a points difference of minus 19 going into this game. So confidence very low for the Italians. Yeah. So what went wrong for Scotland? I mean, they (laughs) won by a bonus point. It it seems weird that I'm saying that, but watching the full 80 minutes, I thought Scotland were sloppy. And without Duan van der Merwe, they really struggled to get some go forward. And I think that's worrying. Other than Ali Price, I mean who was pretty good for the game and, to be honest, had his best game of the championship. I mean, he was second in terms of um, metres made from Scotland. Stuart Hogg was obviously number one, as he often is. And I thought Finn Russell was pretty uninspiring, although his replacement, Adam Hastings, oh my God. I mean, he came on with four minutes to go and was completely off the pace. So I'm very glad for Scotland's sake that Gregor Townsend started (laughs) Finn Russell over Adam Hastings. Although he threw a few speculative passes, didn't he? Yeah, he did, Finn Russell. He was was a bit bit loose, Finn Russell. (laughs) He was. I mean, that is is the magic of Finn. But in this game, it was just doing that a little bit carelessly, let's Mm -hmm. put it politely. I was quite surprised by Adam Hastings because obviously we watched him in a bar shirt 
ages ago, you you served him at Burger and Lobster. I, I did, I, I did. I Fun believe. fact, I did with his dad as well. Very famous dad. <laughs> but I mean. He's 25. You know, he's not a young player anymore. And I say that quite depressingly because mm. we're nearly at that, that <laughs> age as well. His opposite number, Garbisi, is 21. And Garbisi looks amazing, as always. Just so composed as well. So composed. What a player he is going to become. Adam Hastings came on and just looked completely off the pace. But enough about him. In truth, for me, the problems for Scotland were far bigger than just a couple of players missing. Mm-hmm. Or they're just not quite firing on all cylinders. And in truth, it took the whole squad a while to get going. And they were just off the pace for the whole game. Mm-hmm. Proof of this is the fact that Scotland's rug- ruck speed was actually slower in the Italy game than it was in their last match against France. So to just to explain what this stat means, and I'm kind of still getting to grips with it, I think it's something that, that rugby is, is turning into the equivalent of XG in football, if you're familiar with that. So basically, why it's important is the greater amount of quick ruck ball produced the more positive outcomes will be created, leading to greater success and the more likely a team is to win a match. Now, I took that from an academic paper on this very subject. Goodness me. One week you're downloading the laws (laughs) of the game, next week you're looking at academic papers. This is is top end (laughs) rugby journalism. I'm just jealous of this guy. He did sports science at Cardiff Met and he's written a paper all about it. So, I mean, I haven't written the paper. I haven't read the paper. I've read the start as as we all have. Fair enough, just the abstract, isn't it? (laughs) Basically, what that that paper was saying was that um, Northern Hemisphere sides tended to, in the past, have slower ruck speed Mm-hmm. So slower ball, where so- Southern Hemisphere size had quicker ball. And what that means is, as, as I just said, there's more positive outcomes when you've got quicker ruck speed. So that's why this stat is important. You draw more defenders in, you create more space for yourself. It's, you know, it's a snowball effect, really. Exactly. So, yeah, Scotland's ruck speed was slower against Italy than it was against Far- France, mad. which I, I just, uh, yeah, it just proves that they were off the pace. Put that into numbers. Scotland had an average ruck speed of 2.38 seconds in the France game with 77% of attacking rucks being between naught and three seconds. Whereas against Italy, Scotland's average ruck speed was actually over that magic three seconds mark at 3.44 seconds, with 61% of their rucks being between zero and three seconds. Compare that with Ireland, which we've already spoken about, and Gibson Park was man of the match. Yes. Ireland are immense at this. They've got the quickest ruck speed stats in the championship so so far with an average of 2.86 seconds. For the, an average for the tournament, they're under this magic three seconds mark. And they commit the fewest players to the breakdown as well. And it's what undoubtedly burnt England out in their game. So this is a really important area of the pitch. And it, it, as I said, it proves that Scotland were off the pace for me. But having said that, Italy deserve credit, you know. Yeah. This was a team that... There were two teams involved in this. It wasn't just Scotland <laughs> being slow. They, they stuck at it throughout the, the 80 minutes and they pushed the Scots much closer than many people would have thought. I mean, I think you predicted Scotland by 25 or... I, think tw- I went 28. 28? Yeah. I mean, I, I said 15. Yeah, of course. And I saw it coming. <laughs> like, this Scotland side have been just off it and they're a side that are full of reputation but they're not showing it in terms of results it's and same old it's same old story and i keep thinking and maybe at the start of the championship for yourself anyway in your predictions for the for the tournament mm. that we always get into this cycle with scotland where we think they come around they have a few promising performances in the autumn or in the summer and then you're like, okay, this Six Nations could be it. It's a bit like Liverpool before they won their first Premier League. 
this I, was about, a, I was about to say it's a bit like England whenever we go into a major tournament oh. of football, but yeah, Liverpool's more accurate. I say Liverpool because that was just over a really long period of time. And whether Scotland end up winning a championship or not, I'm not. I'm not sure. But yeah, it, it's disappointing. Again, they start the championship so well. And, but you, but yeah. you never know. An England side that doesn't maybe capitulate as they did in, at Murrayfield, and Scotland could be looking at one win. Indeed, ifs, buts and maybes. Exactly. So, we did an absolute, Charlie, <laughs> an absolute only. So let's go back to Italy. Um, the Italians were only two points behind at the 30-minute mark, which, you know, it's, there's still lots to be played. But I thought that was that was very good from the Italians, yeah. to sound like a school teacher. Um, <laughs> and EBI. While, <laughs> and while Scotland did eventually establish a bit of daylight between the sides, they were able to steady the ship and a late flurry from the debutant Capuzzo. Capuzzo. Um, who is, by the way, just he's 22, 71 kgs. Had he been up against Duhan van der Merwe, 105 kilos... There would have been a 34 kilo oh difference, God. which, you know, rugby does get this quite a lot. Yes. Rudy Antonio running I mean, over he's got Harry about, Randall. He's got about 50 cages on anyone on the pitch, so... But I think this is something to to say about Capuzzo as, as I mean, I've already reflected on Freddie before we recorded this podcast. He looks more like a footballer. Yes. Um, and if you look at his highlights reel, which I would encourage you to do, mm-hmm. it's very unusual from a rugby player to sort of be that stature. And the way he plays, it's almost like he's playing football. Yes, he's on the shoulder, which is great from a rugby player, but it's sort of similar to a footballer waiting for that moment to, to mm-hmm. strike on a ball coming through or whatever. They're, they're there when at the moment when it's needed. Exactly. He also plays in... Division two of France. Yeah. He plays for Grenoble, so he doesn't even play top <laughs> top level rugby. And he's you know coming on having his Italy debut, scoring two tries against a very strong Test nation that's Sc- that is Scotland. Equally, also going off that point of him being really light, he also looks like he's about twelve. He does look like he's about twelve. So yeah, <laughs> it, it made me feel very old watching him <laughs> score two tries. I mean, I don't want to go too far. I'm not saying a star is born, but you know, fair play to him. It's great yeah. to see. We want to see those moments. And what what I want to just finally just close off on, for this match, I think it was finer margins than we would have expected. Garbisi scores the two penalties that he missed and Italy get a losing bonus point. I mean, that would... I'm talking about Italy saying that they did tremendously well. Mm-hmm. I'd be off the charts, clearly, if, if they got a losing bonus point. Ali Price intercepted the ball... And then lead, it leads to a try after Carl Stain kicks it through to Chris Harris. Mm-hmm. Before then, the Italians intercepted it, and if they score that one, they could be, they could yeah. have been ahead. Real fine margins. Real fine margins, and I think it's it's great to have. I, I know Italy still have one more game to go, but I kind of wish they could have ended on this because we started the championship with this whole debate about whether the Italians, this stupid debate that the Italians should be kicked out of the tournament or whatever. And now we're seeing why we want them in. Mm-hmm. And the proof of that is in the pudding. And it's not <laughs> quite there. But you talked about it in our first episode. In the under-20s table, Ireland are top. Guess who's bottom? Scotland. Yeah. And Italy are fourth above Wales. So, you know, with the Garbisi who's young, with Capuzzo, if he does prove to be a good player... Yeah. Again, a young player. Michele Lamara is their captain. You know, he's, he's got time to grow into that captaincy role as well. He's still young, and and a brilliant uh, a brilliant player anyway. Regardless of whether he plays for Italy or another nation, top tackler in the tournament. You know, there are lots of promising signs for the Italians. Exactly. So Scotland started slow this weekend, which they can afford to do against Italy. But if they do that against Ireland, they'll be two tries down within the first ten minutes. But for Italy they can go to the Principality knowing that if they continue to improve, they can make a real game for it. 
Finally, but technically firstly for the weekend, it was France against Wales at the Principality. A really, really tight encounter, as I think a lot of people predicted. A lot of people maybe thought France would run away with it, but actually I think most people who know about how powerful that Principality is in terms of home support, they know that that Wales are a different beast. But they lost 13-9 in the end. Before we go into the game, I just want to quickly talk about the fact that they didn't actually fill the stadium. Yeah, it was week. it was a drama we sort of talked about. We we foreshadowed the fact that actually the Friday night games are not particularly popular for the team that has to host it because it, there is a little bit of difficulty having fans coming in. Yeah, and perhaps this fixture proved it. I think there was ten thousand seats unsold for this game. Yeah, there were, which I cannot believe I'm saying for Welsh rugby. You know, when we're talking about the anthems and we're saying about how this is the probably the most passionate microcosm of rugby in, yes. the, in the world that international support for Wales is, is immense and 10,000 seats not sold well it's, it's just a bit silly because that that was the lowest crowd for a Six Nations game against France uh, since the Principality Stadium was built wow in 1999 so I, I just don't get it because I understand Friday night games are difficult logistically for a lot of people and I understand there was less there's less fans travelling from France to come over for various reasons but the tickets left on sale were 100 to 105 pounds that isn't that accessible they were also in in the alcohol free zone in the north stand a lot of them which again isn't that enticing for rugby fans on a Friday night but I don't I don't get that when you reach the stage of you haven't sold 10,000 tickets why isn't there a push to either slash the ticket prices to get people in or go local rugby clubs in Wales yeah. you know here's here's 200 tickets come on come along and watch, even watch your schools. country like, I went to the Millennium Stadium with mum with my mum's school like, yeah. I, not with the school but the tickets were given out to the school mm-hmm. and then I was able to go because we got them free just do that I it's, mean it's so easy to say that it's easy it? to say it but I just and I'm sure there are loads of things you have to go through but before I get enlightened on any of those things it just makes sense because great PR yeah. And you fill the stadium and then you don't get all of this bad press being like, God, Wales are selling tickets for £100, there's 10,000 left, there's going to be, you know, the lowest attendance since 1999 against France. All these things. And you've got ex-players like, I think you mentioned before the podcast started that uh, Sam Warburton came out and, yeah, against, yeah. against he, what happened. He, he was he was very surprised, which is always, you know, telling from a player who's played in that stadium yeah. and is obviously a, a deep part of Welsh rugby. But I mean, he did still say that he felt the atmosphere was pretty good. The anthems were yeah. were great. I mean, we've talked about how the Welsh anthem in the principality is a different <laughs> level. So yeah, it, it's it is a headline, but at the same time, is there is there a crisis at Welsh rugby? No, no. It's just <laughs> it's just more of a shame, isn't it? Yes. Like it, it's a shame that that was that was the case. But in terms of the game itself, that definitely didn't disappoint. You know, it was a low scoring affair. But I thought Wales acquitted themselves really, really well against France and who actually were a little bit uncharacteristic in terms of how they played. They did have moments of, of pure greatness. You know, the Jolance try, uh, the only try of the game, was was just epitomised French rugby, that jouet jouet, that they offload and offload and offload and really stretch, stretch the Welsh, the Welsh defence. It was a great performance by France, but still uncharacteristic in the long run because there were lots of moments where they got caught in kicking battles with Wales and there was some uncharacteristic mistakes from Jaminet who at one occasion kicked it straight out off across the dead ball line and Wales buoyed by that home home support they were able to stick in that game for a long long time and the biggest flashpoint of the game cross kick from Dan Bigger caught expertly by Salupa Falatau pulled inside 
to Jonathan Davis with the try line at his mercy and Dupont maybe just maybe able to grab him. Jonathan Davis drops the ball. It was that same situation from when it was Stuart Hogg. Exactly. You know, exactly. These sort of players, these household names in terms of international rugby, these are the players that you would bet your house on for them to, to catch it. It sounds so easy when I say yeah. it like that. It's one of those passes that when you're playing test level against a side like France, you have to take your chances. Scotland didn't do that against France when they played them, when they could have gone at half time ahead. Wales didn't do that in the last sort of moments of the second half against France and they didn't take that chance and they lost because of it and you never know if Jonathan Davis goes over changes the game Wales can go ahead and their defence was great it took it took a very very good very very good try from France to, to breach that line I mean both sides defensively were amazing 94% tackle success for France and 90% yeah. for Wales for both sides to be in the 90s just shows the sort of grit and attrition of that mm-hmm. match France did well. They won the game in the end. And I just want to go back to their their ability to keep the game going. Every try they've scored this championship has been scored within five phases. Wow. So they, you know, five phases, they stop phases from happening because they keep the ball moving. But still, they're able to attack really quickly, really clinically. You know, and if they if they don't score within five phases, I think they're happy to give the ball away. Mm. Or kick the ball away if they can't breach the breach the line, which they they found a lot against Wales on Friday night. They're happy to give the ball back and then go again. This is interesting though because they're as I was talking earlier that ruck speed stat. Their ruck speed was forty seven percent of it was between that zero point three zero to three second mark. Mm-hmm. So that's quite low down. Yeah. So it sort of suggests maybe that it's like you know with the size and football where there's they've got lots of possession and then. They'll, they'll snap into action. Kind of seems like a little bit similar, as you were saying, with France, that like, okay, maybe they're happy to take a few phases and it's not quite going well, so we'll kick it away. So that slows everything down. Mm-hmm. But then when they do go onto it, they are going to be scoring in five phases or less. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's, it's rapid fire attack. And that is the USP of this, of this French side. And look, they go back to Paris now. What a dream it is for them. Exactly where they want to be. They go back to Paris. They're going to play an England side who, well after this weekend's performance, you could be a party pooper. I mean, um, if, if this was a, a tournament, like a knockout sort of tournament yeah. style, the, the performance we saw from England was the sort of one that you want to be saying, that's when you're peaking. Yeah. I would say that that's when they are peaking. So potentially, you know, this could be where we see the best of this England side. Exactly. It's not going to be easy for France. Obviously, it's great that they can be back in Paris, going to have great home support. What, First, an, what an advert that could be for, for the World Cup in, in mean, look, so short amount of time now. Yeah, they've, 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 they've got the chance to take that Grand Slam home first time in 12 years. But it will probably be one of the hardest games. It'll probably be the hardest game they've had to play just by virtue of the fact that England now in a way, don't have anything to play for. So they can take those risks and they can really force it. And the French potentially, you know, when you've got that pressure on your shoulders, you know, you never know how that pressure manifests itself. And France haven't been able to do it for a while. French rugby fans have had to wait a long time for this opportunity. I'm not saying they won't do it. I think they are still heavy favourites. You know, they play really well to get the win. It's never easy to win at the Principality. And Wales, I think, again, they played really well as well. And I think they're ending the tournament on a bit of a, a bit of a high. Uh, Josh Navidi came back in. I don't think he did too badly from being out for a while. A lot of people were critical of Wayne Pivat for bringing him in straight away and dropping Tame Basham. But they've got a game against Italy. A nice game for them. From where we looked at them at the start, when we think they were going to come maybe fifth, 
and they could still get there. I think Scotland, England and Wales still could finish fifth. Wow. But they've got a chance to try and get four tries, try and get that bonus point and then the tournament on a high and then they can go into the Autumn Internationals with a little bit more experience under their belts and Wayne Pivac can continue or continue to build what is a dark horse for a Welsh side. On that point, it is actually, we've got to savour this, because you're just saying there, we've got to wait until the Autumn International. How sad is that? That the next time we'll be seeing all these sides out in this sort of style of Test Match Rugby. Yes, we've got summer tours and stuff, but let's be honest, they just don't quite excite us as much. So yeah, let's savour next weekend. So for the final time this year, how sad, the final time this year, we've got one more round of Six Nations fixtures. We've got Super Saturday. Charlie, just give me the rundown of what we can expect. Well, we kick off with Wales, Italy at 2.15. Then it's Ireland versus Scotland. And then to close off the championship, it's almost as if it's been written in the script. (laughs) France versus England, eight o'clock. So yes, packed afternoon into the evening of rugby oh my god eight o'clock start i mean look i know exactly what i'm doing with my saturday so it's as simple as that eight o'clock in paris huge game for france to win the grand slam let's start at wales Italy, though predictions charlie well i again i think this will be closer than people think again you know we want to be billing this as one for your fancy teams but i really think italy could push wales closer than we think but having said that i'm going to go for the exact same prediction i did for the scotland game and say wales by 15. Okay, well, I'm going to go for pretty much the exact same prediction I made for the Scotland game and say Wales by 25. I think, I do think Italy will play well. I just think, you know, Wales have really built built nicely this tournament. 25 points is quite a nice winning margin. On to the next one, Ireland-Scotland. It's in Dublin, which is, which is important to point out. Yep, yep, 100%. And, I mean, I think Scotland's... Are struggling. <laughs> so, if you haven't got that from the theme of the theme of this episode, <laughs> so I am going to say with a heavy heart, I'm just going to go for the same Ireland by 15. I know that sounds really boring, but mm-hmm. maybe that's a measure of what I'm saying about this Scotland side that I think they're going to have the exact same points difference as when Wales are playing Italy. So yeah, Ireland by 15. Well, I'm I'm inclined to agree with you. I think I'll lower that winning margin slightly and have really? Ireland by 12. Okay. Not okay. too much. Uh, no, I think Scotland will have a point to prove this weekend. Ireland have got a championship to win. I they, they are going to come out all guns blazing. It's true, it's true, it's true. I, I know, you're trying to you're convincing me now. No, but at the same time, I mean, Scotland aren't awful. Let's. I know I've yeah. been pretty doom and gloom about Scotland for, for most of this podcast. Yes. Let alone this episode. Look, if Ireland win, they go up to 20 points on the table, right? And if England beat France, even if France get a losing bonus point and they get four tries, so they get two points in the game, they'll both end up on 20 points. I hope oh I'm making this clear. But... Ireland have superior points difference. It's that Italy game, wasn't it? Exactly. That Italy game has given them that that huge advantage oh, in points difference. Please say we're not talking about another tournament where it's all based on red cards. Yeah. <laughs> please. <laughs> but, but, but look, so basically, obviously France have to lose because the Grand Slam automatically gives you the win, obviously. But even if France get those two losing, losing bonus points and Ireland win by, you know, they don't have to get any bonus points in this game, Ireland. So they just have to grind out a result. I'm not, I'm not saying that that means they won't score loads of points, but they might approach the game and just say, this is a one-off test match. All we've got to do is win. Give ourselves oh, a chance. But come on, professional sportsmen want more than that. They want to they be 
dominating but it's, against it's, this opposition. It's, it's context. If yeah. in, the, in the second half they're winning by quite a margin, they might run away with it. But I think at the start they'll just want to get ahead. They'll want to get yeah, that scoreboard true. ticking over. I don't. I'd be surprised. To and see who's him. better than that than Johnny Sexton? Exactly. In he can manage a game perfectly, and I think that's all I need to do. And then hope that England do the business later on. So going to that game, Charlie. Yes. Oh, this is a really hard one. I'm going to say France by five. Okay. What are you thinking? It's the last game. Do it. I might as well. I'm saying England by one. Woo! By one? By one. It's going to be close. <laughs> it's going to be really close. I just, I just, you know what? I'm saying it more out of hope than maybe expectation. Well, that's kind of what I do with Scotland. I, yeah. I say things that I want to happen and then put it, a pessimistic spin yeah. on it when I don't want things to happen. But equally, I said at the start uh, in our first ever episode that I don't think there'll be a Grand Slam this year. I think Grand Slams are harder to come by than ever before in France the Six at Nations. Home, though. It is France at home. I just think... There's got to be one game where where they're really, really pushed. And I know it was only a four-point winning margin against Wales on Friday night. But I think England, they, have, they haven't put a ma- an amazing 80-minute performance in, including discipline, because this weekend was great, but they got a red card early on. Yeah, good caveat. I think I think this is their chance. And they might not do it. And if they lose, I don't think it'll be very, by very much. But I'm going England by one. Either way... My God, what an end to this championship we have set up. I know. We, <laughs> the rugby community <laughs> has set up. What a fantastic final weekend this will be. Yeah, I cannot wait. It's brilliant. It's so good that we've got two teams vying for the title. It's so good that we've got teams like England, Scotland, Wales who could finish anywhere from third to, to fifth. So there's plenty to play for. At the end of the day, final positions, if you're not finishing first, I don't think it really matters where else you finish. It's more about the performances. In my eyes as a rugby fan, I prefer to see strong performances as opposed to, you know, where we finish in the table. True, but the history books, you know, the history books might be able to reflect that story, but one thing matters and it does... Well, to a lot, to a lot of fans, if England finish fifth, it's, it's not going to be very pretty for Eddie Jones in, uh, next week. Um, and a lot of the media will latch on to that. Morning. Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, he said this week it's harder being an Australian English coach, uh, England coach, than, than English, but which is an interesting comment to make. But I think he might be preparing for, for those calls to be made next week. I'm not saying they're correct calls, but if we do lose to France, I think, and finish fifth, I think they'll be coming. So that's all for today. Thanks once again for listening. And of course, if you enjoyed it, make sure to follow the podcast on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at The Pop Pass Pod. If you haven't already, that is. Although if you're feeling extra nice, please give us a five star rating on wherever you listen to your podcast, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It really does help us out a lot. But in the meantime, we'll be back next week to review the final, final round of Six Nations fixtures. And we'll see whether France can finally sit at the summit of Northern Hemisphere Rugby once again. This is the Pop Pass Podcast with me, Freddie. And me, Charlie. Thanks so much for listening.